Well, I know this will make many of you cringe, but the vast majority of my life, I have not been a self-proclaimed dog person. And I think part of this is because I was just not really raised around pets or dogs. And then I also had a little incident when I was about 20 where I was attacked by a dog when I was jogging. So of course, you know, that had some um, bad memories with it. But just in general, I've always sort of viewed dogs as something that is great for other people, but not something that I was really excited about. So of course, the unfortunate reality for me is I have three other lovely people in my life, my family, who are dog people. And for years and years, especially my children, have been talking about, oh, mom, can we please get a dog? Can we please get a dog? And of course, my immediate answer is no, I'm not even going to consider it. Well, especially when you have young kids, you know, you don't want to add that into the mix when you're not a dog person. So a couple years ago, um, during the pandemic, I, um, I just sort of had this sort of lingering sense that perhaps I should consider the idea of getting a family dog. And I, I really chalked this up to the work of the Holy Spirit because I knew that this was not something that I would come up with on my own. And so we spent a lot of time like thinking about it and what would we do to need to change our house and our yard if we were to get a dog. And it just sort of seemed like the pieces were not falling into gear. And so my kids were disappointed, but kind of the slog was going on. And so we were waiting and waiting, kind of trying to figure out what was best for our family. And then this spring, um, my husband's stepmom gives us a call and she has stumbled upon this litter of puppies of all things. Um, that live on a ranch near her and she wants to know are we interested and so Matt and I talk about it my husband and I and um, we decide yeah we're gonna go for it this is a great time for our family and so um, she graciously agrees to get the dog and do a little bit of training with it because she is a total dog person and a few weeks later we drive down we get the puppy and then of course we bring him back and, you know, the first few weeks, I'm not going to lie, they were a little bit rough. Um, my, my husband's stepmom had done a great job training it and working with it, but he was just a puppy, right? He was, like, nipping a lot, and he did have a few potty accidents, but he's always been a really sweet boy. And now he's five months old, and I'm happy to report that he is doing great and that I have truly been converted to at least a Levi person, okay? So that's his name, Levi. So I don't know if I would truly say that I'm a dog person, um, but I'm leaning in that direction and I'm definitely a Levi person. And one of the true signs of this, I think, is that I do definitely notice more dogs when I'm out and about and think they're cute. So even my daughter has said, mom, I think you are becoming a dog person. And I tell this little story um, just as a sign that, and it's sort of silly, but that God is always working and that he is working in mysterious ways. And sometimes we might have our life planned out in certain ways, but he comes in and he changes things up a bit and he intervenes. And so today we are going to be talking about the concept of the mighty hand of God or the great hand of God as seen in the book of Exodus. And I just kind of wanted to share this silly little story um, just to remind us that God's hand is working and sometimes it's working in great and mighty ways like we'll see today in the book of Exodus, but oftentimes he is working in mighty ways that seem small to us. So for my daughter in particular, this getting a dog was actually a mighty act of God because it's really important to her. And so we, before we move on um, to the text today, I just wanted to share with you just sort of a funny little antidote. So my husband, um, before we got the dog, went to the library and got a bunch of picture or uh, books about training the dog. 
And um, our favorite book was just a few days ago, um, Eaten by the Dog. So, of course, I go to the library and I show the librarian, okay, like, I need to pay for this. And thankfully, the librarian thought this was hysterical. So, obviously, we still have a little bit of work to do in training our dog not to eat books. Well, as we transition today, we are going to be talking, as I said, from the book of Exodus about the mighty hand of God. And this fall, our sermon series is going through um, some of the major stories in the Old Testament. And these are specifically stories that link us as the church to the Old Testament. And they help us to talk about what is our purpose and what is our identity. And um, today we're going to be going through the story of the crossing of the sea in Exodus 14. So I do have one quote that I wanted to read just to start us off. So this is from Tremper Longman III. Um, he is a professor at Westmont. And this is what he has to say about the book of Exodus. So he says, the book of Exodus is a work of theological history. The book intends to teach us about God and his relationship with us by describing how he acted in history. So as we head into Exodus, um, we are going to be reading about history. But I want you to think about it not just as history, but that we are leaning into the author's intent about what does the author not just have to teach us about history, but about the theological truth of who God is and who we are in God. So we know that God is the architect of history. As we stand back and we see the sequence of events in our life and in the world around us, um, we begin to see patterns. And so today we are going to be talking about some of those patterns that we see throughout Scripture and specifically in the crossing of the sea. So one of the common patterns, which Pastor Michael talked about last week, has to do with deliverance through water. So we see this in many places um, throughout, the, throughout the scriptures. We see this in Noah's Ark, which Michael talked about last week. We see this in the story around Moses and being put in the basket and being delivered by Pharaoh's daughter. We see, like today, in the parting of the sea. We see the crossing of the Jordan River. We see Jonah's three days in the fish. So in all of these stories, we have a better understanding of what God is doing through the context of water and our deliverance and our salvation. So today in Exodus 14, um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of history. There's a lot there. I'm not going to be covering all of it because I'd be here for the whole month. But um, just the backstory. So the, the Hebrew people are enslaved by the Egyptians. Um, we see at the beginning of Exodus that they are growing in number and multiplying by the work of God in their lives and their, in their, in their people. And this causes a problem for the Egyptians, and so they enslave them. And for you know, a long time, they're enslaved, and it's really hard. It's really bitter work. They are an oppressed people. And God raises Moses up um, to deliver them with his mighty hand um, out of this position of slavery. And he's leading them into the promise of Abraham, which is back to the land of milk and honey, back to the land of abundance. And so this is where we pick up today. So this is right after the plagues. It's right after Pharaoh. Um, and we're going to move on to Exodus 14. We're going to start in verse 13. So Moses answered the people, and this is what he said. He said, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord, that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only need to be still. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming behind the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So neither went near, near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last, night of, last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariot so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place and the Egyptians were fleeing forward. And the Lord swept them into the sea and the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So as we go through Exodus 14, I think it's important for us to remember that we just cannot really overstate its importance. That um, this is a story that is told over and over again throughout the scriptures. So there's at least two dozen direct references to this story um, in the Old Testament, and there's many more allusions to it. And we, sh we see it show up a lot in the New Testament. So I'm going to talk about a couple of those today. Um, the first one that I just want to sort of allude to is that in the Transfiguration. Um, so Jesus is with Elijah and Moses, as many of you know the story. And Jesus is speaking with them. And this is what the text says. The text says, um, we're, we're speaking of, they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And if you go back and you look at the Greek of the word departure, the word is actually exodus, right? So this is an example of all of the like little ways that this starts to show up in scriptures. That here, here Jesus is specifically using the word exodus to talk about his departure. And it's starting to weave in that thread of redemption. That exodus isn't just about leaving or departing, but there is an act of redemption that happens in that, in that departure. And then we know as Christians that this is pointing towards the work of redemption um, that the Israelites experienced as they came out of slavery and crossed through the waters and over a course of time went into the promised land. Um, but that also speaks to the redemption that we have in Jesus. That redemption is not just purely um, something bad turning into something good, 
um, but it refers to a releasing of bondage into freedom. And we also know that redemption is sort of two things at once. It's a one-time thing in the Christian faith, and it's also a process. So we know that through Jesus' work that we have been moved from darkness into the kingdom of light. Um, but we also know that we often feel very drawn back to those old ways. And so that as we experience this redemption that Jesus is giving us, um, just like the people of Israel were brought through the waters into the promised land, that they were also drawn, drawn back to the old ways and talked about that a lot with a little bit too much nostalgia. And we can also be stuck in that position of um, looking backwards instead of looking forwards into the life of, of abundance that God has given us. Well, so I think the, the next question that this leads us to is why were the people um, drawn from slavery across the dry land? Well, this really points to the providence of God, and it speaks to what I would call the gracious and mighty hand of God, that the people did not do this, that God did it for them. And so I'm going to draw attention here to the last verse that I read, which is verse 31. It's the last one in the chapter. And I'm going to read it kind of slowly again, and we're going to camp on this for a minute. So verse 31 says, And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of God displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And so throughout the book of Exodus, this is a phrase, the mighty hand of God, the great hand of God, the hand of God, um, this is a phrase that we see repeated over and over again. And we also see it in God using it with his, his servant leaders, um, Aaron and Moses, that they, when they stretch out their hand, they're doing it from the command of God, that they are um, taking the commands that God has given them and, and enacting it with their actual hands. And so I did a little bit of a deep dive on this because I wanted to know, okay, what, what, is, what does this mean? Um, what, is this, what is God using in this repetitive language? What does it have to do with the hand specifically? And as I, as I was studying it, the thing that kept coming up over and over again is that the word the hand, or sometimes the arm, um, is really pointing towards um, the power of God and the might of God. That when God uses his hand, that he is demonstrating his might and his power. And he, in this case, is using his might and his power to save his people. He is using it to free them from bondage, and he is using it to defeat their enemies, and he is using it to bring justice, and he is using it to guide them through a time of great confusion and uncertainty. And after the people recognize the mighty hand of God, their response is twofold. First of all, it says that they feared the Lord, and second, that they put their trust in him and Moses. And so this, this concept of fearing the Lord, it gets kind of a bad rap. Um, in our culture, because we kind of like to think of Jesus and God as our friend, right? But I think a good way for us to think about fear of God is that it's an acknowledgement of his holiness. It's an acknowledgement of his power. And in response to that, there is a certain amount of reverence and awe that is required to, of us. And then the second piece of that, of their response, is that they put their trust in both God and his servant Moses. And this word trust is not necessarily like an intellectual belief, although they did have that. Um, and it's not necessarily a first-time experience. It's more saying that the act of God was so pronounced that it gave them trust for the future. That as they were looking ahead to the promised land and all that it would entail, 
for them to journey through that, that they were encouraged to put their trust in God and to put their trust in Moses as their leader. Well, so we talked about how this incredible story um, of Israel's history is told often on repeat, that it is one of the patterns of God. And I really liked how one scholar put it. He said, think, think about it this way. God chose a people who were often stubborn to save out of slavery for the purpose of serving him. When their destruction seemed imminent, he saved them through the water. He entered into a covenant with them and God gave them spiritual food and drink as he led them by his presence toward their destination. And at the end of the pilgrimage, he brought his covenant people to settle in the promised land that flows with milk and honey. And then the scholar says, is this the Exodus story or is this the gospel story? And the answer is yes, it's both. So we can see that, that the story of, of the Israelites crossing through the Exodus is the same story that we experience today. Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians invites us to see the parting of the sea um, through, through the lens of the Christian experience. So the context here is that Paul is talking to a church, to a group of people, um, who were caught up in bondage. And so they have been redeemed, they are following Jesus, but they are still working that out. And what that looks like for them is that they are very tempted to go back to their old way of living, right? Like this is a consistent theme in the New Testament, that people are redeemed by Jesus, but they're going back to their own patterns. And this is what Paul says. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. He says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food, and they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ." And so Paul is speaking about the fathers being under the cloud and passing through the sea. And he's talking about the people being baptized into Moses. And we see that Paul is pointing us in the direction of seeing that crossing that they were taking as seeing the same crossing that we take in the manner of being baptized. So in a similar manner, we are baptized in Christ. We are united with him in his death. We are buried with him. And then we are risen up and we are reshaped and sent on our way to our inheritance, which is the promised land or the new heaven and the new earth. And we are called to see our salvation in light of that. So we're going to talk a little bit about baptism today um, as we think about the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, and baptism is really God's way of saying, I have delivered you, that I have brought you out of bondage, out of sin, out of death, and I am setting you into a new place. So we know that Jesus set the ball in motion for this, that Jesus himself underwent John's baptism, um, and then he illustrated that through his death and through his resurrection. And so his death and resurrection is ultimately the fulfillment of the crossing of the sea and him going into the promised land. And we can remember that every time somebody's baptized, that the whole church is saying, that the death and the resurrection of Jesus, as symbolized through baptism, is making us part of God's new exodus, his new exodus people. And so here at Harbor Covenant, baptism is really important to us. 
we see it as a sign of God's gracious commitment to his people, both together as a church and also individually. Um, and we, we know that we see it throughout the New Testament, that it's something that Jesus commands us to be part of, um, that it's a gift, and it's a sign of the covenant, and it's a sign of grace. And so I just want to take a minute and just talk a little bit about baptism. So we, um, we are actually going to be doing some baptisms here this fall at Harbor Covenant. And if you haven't been baptized and you are interested in that, so you have put your trust in Jesus and you are walking with him through the help of the Holy Spirit, um, we would love to baptize you if you haven't yet been baptized. And there's sort of a process for doing this. So um, I'm just going to lay that out. So you can talk to one of us who are on staff, um, but probably the simplest and easiest way to do it is just to go on our website, which is harborcub.church. And if you scroll down to the middle of the page, um, you can see a little box and it says get baptized. And that, you can click on that and it will give you some directions on how to start inquiring about that process. So as we think about baptism, um, first we wanna emphasize God's role. That it is not just our declaration but it is God's declaration that he is faithful to us, that he is truly the reliable party, right, when it comes to the covenant. And as we think about baptism, and also as we think about communion, which we'll be going into later, um, that it's a declaration of who God is, and we were remembering that the good news of the gospel, that we are loved and we are forgiven, and we are invited into the church and into the community of God. So when I was a child, I was part of a, de of a denomination um, that had this thing that we would regularly say, um, which is, remember your baptism and be thankful. Okay, so this is like sort of part of the liturgy. Remember your baptism and be thankful. And I have to say that as a kid, I had no idea what that meant. And I even remember thinking like, I was baptized when I was three. Like, how can I possibly remember my bapt baptism? And I just want to point out that um, that piece of liturgy that so often is said in so many churches, um, that it's sort of pointing back to these scriptures that we've read today. Um, that really baptism and remembering your baptism isn't just about that one moment that you were baptized, but it's about the truth of God. That as we remember our baptism, that we remember that we are loved by God. We remember the grace that has brought us from sin and darkness and into freedom and light. That we remember that we have been raised into the resurrected Lord Jesus. That we remember that we have been incorporated into his people. That we remember that the Holy Spirit is giving us a new way of doing things under Christ. And this is a great cause for celebration and gratitude. So remember your baptism and be thankful. All right, friends, I have three questions for us today. Um, the first question is related to the mighty hand of God. So number one, where do you see God's mighty hand at work? Question two, how does God's grace and his power help you to trust him with your future? And lastly, what is the connection for you between remembering your baptism and thankfulness?